0: You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey, folks, with us today, Tony, the founder and CEO of Oyster, a billion dollar startup. Tony, super happy to have you on. Thank you for having me, Nicolas. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Awesome. Let's start with the most important thing. What is Oyster and who is it for? Oyster is a global employment
1: platform. We enable any company in the world to hire anyone, anywhere. Essentially, when you find an amazing talent in another country, you want to hire them. You don't need to go and talk to lawyers, set up an entity, hire benefit providers, HR professionals, we all do that for you on our software platform in 180 countries.
0: I love that. And then who's the typical customer? Is not more a scrappy startup that also wouldn't have the cash to set up an entity in another company, in another country? Is it like a big enterprise that just needs a huge workforce? Who's the typical customer? Look, today we
1: are enabling a smaller organization. So SMB and mid-market up to 5,000 employees We do have a few enterprise customers, but our focus is on SMB and mid-market. And why we're focused there? Because typically, larger organizations have access to uh, consultancy like PwC and Accenture that can do like all setting up the entity for them. Uh, But I have to say, we've seen some enterprise coming to us saying, hey, I don't want to set up entities. Actually, I already have 50 entities around the world. They're costing me a fortune. Can you help me transition them to a modern global employment platform that can help me scale my HR compliance and can help me take
0: care of my people around the world. So we've seen that happening as well. Makes a ton of sense. Then I would love for you to give us an overview of like the scale of Oyster right now, like how big is the company, how many employees, just an explainer on that.
1: Yeah. So to tell you a bit more about Oyster and then i tell you about the scale, Oyster actually was founded as a mission driven company first and foremost, right? We are a mission to make the world more free and equal by democratizing access to global job opportunities, and that's why we are B Corp. We, we earned our B Corp certification last year, confirming that we are a mission-driven company. And uh, and the scale, like we started this business in uh, in twenty in early twenty twenty in January twenty twenty, and we went into operation in uh, in late that year. And the first year of operation, really 2021, we were double-digit in terms of uh, ARR. Um, And so that's faster than Google in their first year. Uh, The year after that, we grew 350%. That's also uh, uh, faster than Slack in their year, two. So this is one of the fastest-growing SaaS companies. And in terms of number of people, we are 500 people distributed in 65 countries from over 100 nationalities. And gender equal across the board, including in leadership ranks. It's a very intentional company. Um, And uh, in terms of customers, we have over 1,300 customers uh, and uh, they, they, they hire tens of thousands of amazing talent around the world on our platform.
0: I love that. And I mean, you started for the people who forgot already 2020 was the year of COVID. So you started in the midst of COVID had massive growth. And in another podcast, you mentioned that usually most companies struggle with getting clients and you basically got overwhelmed with clients and operations was really the thing that hurt. Tell us a bit about what you learned going through such crazy growth. Yeah. So um, one of the main
1: learning going through this massive growth was that you cannot control everything. You have to go with the flow. You have to surrender to what the world, what your organization is is facing you with as a leader. Uh, And it it shapes what kind of leader you become. Uh, The fact that I, I was able to learn not to be attached to this is the type of leader I am or this is the type of leader I want to be, but instead going with the flow and being there for the business and for my team in the way they want me to be has been transformative to my leadership. I call it ego flexibility. How can you not attach to any form of leadership, but be the leader that the world is asking you to be?
0: If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. For a founder who's maybe is doing it for the first time, maybe like 15, 20, 30 uh, people in the company, but they let's say they raised like a big seed or a series and uh, will grow now. How can they make sure to have that flexibility? Meaning, what's like the pattern that you had, maybe that you had to like break? Or like how that technically speaking, like how can a founder do that? Well,
1: essentially, it's a lot of inner work. So you have to work on yourself. You have to measure or feel uh, the emotion that are running you through your body. And you have to ask yourself, why I'm having this emotion? And should I react to that emotion or not? And uh, um, that's what's really got me here is is really this uh, inner empathy to my own feelings. And uh, yeah, I think that, that was, you know, and the earlier you can, you get good at this, the better you are as a leader. Because people don't want to work with uh, uh, leaders that are reactive. They want to work with leaders that cares for them, that, that they want to can trust. People want leaders that uh, truly uh, care about how people feel working with them. And therefore, you start with yourself. You start with uh, caring for how you feel uh, working uh, in, this or- in this organization, in this environment. And you become more purposeful. You become more intentional in in shaping the, the organization when it comes to how people feel. And like Prince of Oyster, uh, building trust is key uh, values we have. Uh, we are fully distributed in one company. We don't see people in seat every day in the office. So we have to default to trust. So then it becomes, what are these behaviors that you have to embody as a leader to build trust? These are things for me that are, around uh, creating massive amount of psychological safety. Uh, They are around uh, not reacting to bad news. They are around uh, uh, encouraging people to make small mistakes and learning from them. It's about showing that you are not perfect as well and be authentic and be your true self. Uh, All of this combined uh,
0: makes you a better leader. That makes a ton of sense and I would love to switch back on your time as a founder before Oyster? In 2020, you co-founded Nexmo that ultimately got sold at least for the reported number of $230 million in 2016. And then what gave you the ick of, let me start another company? Because as a co-founder, I bet you would have the funds to retire after the exit. So met- what made you basically get back in the rodeo and start Oy- Oyster? It's about clarifying my purpose and following my purpose, right? So
1: I was fortunate to take some time off between uh, uh, Nexmo, my first company and Oyster, my second company. And during that time around a year and a half, I was determined to look inside and understand why I'm here on this planet. And that drive me to realize that I want to be, I'm driven to become a purpose-driven leader. And uh, and I needed to build something that aligns with with uh, with the world I want to see around me. I not only want to be surrounded from people from all over the world. I wanted to create opportunities for people, specifically in emerging economies. Uh, but also, I wanted to build a company that its mission, its core mission, is to uh, enable people from around the world accessing global job opportunities. Maybe just give you some data points. There are. There are 90 million jobs going unfulfilled in the West. According to BCG, that's 8.5 trillion economic loss, around 10% of world economy, while at the same time, you have a billion knowledge worker coming into the workforce in the next 10 years, mostly from emerging economies. Talent is amazing. Talent is everywhere. It's where, it's where they work. Is the environment that they, they are put in that determines if they're going to continue to grow and continue to, to excel in their careers. Uh, and that's why I believe with platforms like Oyster that make global hiring as easy as local hiring, there's really no excuse anymore for companies to have the world as their oyster when they're looking for talent.
0: I can fully agree on that. I mean, the company I run, I'm running is tiny and compared to 20 people, but we're all over the place as well. But I would I would love to double click on the being mission-driven part. Did the specific mission and vision come first of, quote-unquote, helping people internationally to get amazing jobs? Or did the insight come first that I want to build a mission-driven company next? What do I really care about?
1: Yes, um, the second one, the latter. So actually, I was about to start a business that is similar to my previous business. I had the businessman already, I had investor lined up, and uh, but I, one of my conditions of that business is I wanted that business to work for me. I wanted to live where I want to live. I moved to the island of Cyprus, which is an amazing place to live. I uh, I want to be close to my loved one. I don't want to go to the office, and I want to be there for my children. I want to be there for myself, and that was my condition to 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 work. Uh, Uh, to start a new business. And and therefore, it meant that we had no offices. It meant that we can hire people from all over the world. So I started looking for a solution to that problem. And the more I dig into that challenge, global hiring, and the more I look at this macroeconomical data that I just shared with you, the more I realized, well, my heart is, is moving me towards building a solution to this. While my mind is still wanting to build another Nexmo, another communication platform. Uh, my heart is telling me, no, no, please listen here. Uh, the world needs you to, to build Oyster and you are uniquely positioned to build Oyster. I was born in Lebanon, a failed state. I had to leave when I was 17 to France for better economical opportunities. And uh, and I went through difficult times. And, and for me is how can we enable this amazing talent from all over the world access job opportunity without leaving their communities, without leaving their families behind. And that became my purpose, at least in
0: 2020. I think that's super intriguing. And then did you set out to build such a big company with Oyster or was that the quote unquote luck of COVID happening? I mean, luck in the sense that companies were forced to face the reality that you don't only like you don't have to work out of an office, which obviously gave a big push to remote work and hiring internationally. Or were you so what like was like the unicorn status intentional? Meaning like you 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 went for that, or was it like kind of by coincidence? It just happened to be a huge company now. It was not a coincidence because uh, before COVID,
1: you know, I started working on this uh, six months into 2019. And, uh, I, uh, I was determined like, like that time it is my biggest resource, scarce resource. So if I want to build something that is impactful, it had to grow really, really fast and it had to deliver the f- fastest possible impact. And so I looked with my uh, friend who, Andrew, who was my also uh, executive search consultant who helped me hire my teams. Okay. Well, what are the characteristics of uh, what differentiate companies that reaches a unicorn status very quickly versus the rest and one of what stands out to us is these these companies they, they invest more in their leadership teams and earlier than other companies that's number one they are positioned on a massive t- uh, on a massive market and they will help with timing okay? these are kind of the three three ingredients of building. High growth, successful businesses, and so even before realizing that oh shit, we have to go fast with this pandemic, that was a launchpad for this business. We already were designing foundation of a high growth, impactful business,
0: and especially on the on the hiring part, what was something you were looking for in in those early executives that you took along on on that rocket ship ride?
1: Yeah. So first. They had to have a dual experience of of getting us from zero to one. Think about the startup early stage experience, but then also one to 10, getting us to a certain scale later, because we we cannot change leaders in middle of a flight if you're really going fast. You have to have people that can do both and want to do both. Secondly, they had to be fit for purpose, which means that they have to be chosen specifically for their skills and capability to do this role. So for instance, our CFO, Shannon, she used to work at a cross-border shipping API company. So she's very well versed with cross-border transactions, which is what we do, cross-border employment. Think about Miranda, our general counsel. She was one of our first employees we've hired here um, and a strong partner for this business. And she, she used to be running implementing employment compliance at Trinet, the largest professional employment organization in the US. I think about Mark Frein, he's our chief operating officer. He ran people teams in distributed settings for 20 years. I can continue. Sam, our CRO, he was uh, running sales at Udacity, setting into the HR persona, which is the people we talk to every day, that we love, that we build this platform for. So I can continue, but essentially the point is they are hand chosen, selected to be fit for purpose. And lastly, it's about creating the dynamics in the team, uh, looking at the diversity, the diversity of thought, the diversity of experience, and creating an environment that can, that can make people uh, feel comfortable to be their true self and bring their full self into work. Uh, and you put these ingredients together and you have high-performing, high-trusting team that is required to weather the the ups and lows of high-growth businesses.
0: Is there something you do as a company on a daily or weekly basis to create that psychological safety? Yeah. So it starts with me,
1: with my, my behavior, right? So I thrive to, to create psychological safety in my team. I don't react to bad news. I'm uh, I sure that I make mistakes as well. Um, I default to assuming best intent, no matter what people's behavior are. Especially, I get a thought, I say, I'm having a thought coming from my past, because we're all traumatized from work, that, hey, that person might not have the best intent, but immediately I realize that thought and I, I, I just remove it, right? I let it go. Uh, I do practice self-forgiveness. Like, why did I have this thought? Forgive myself that I had this thought. And the more I do that, these thoughts stop coming. And I'll I, I tell you, after doing this for four years, I have totally eliminated my inner critic like there's no inner critic anymore these, these negative thought that comes to my mind about people have completely disappeared vanished so so start so, so with you really as a leader you have to model the way secondly is you have to create the infrastructure that support people when they're having challenges so we have uh every person in the company have access to a therapist uh, we have a mental health channel that uh, I'm personally active in, and many of my team are active in supporting people uh, with their with their challenges. And uh, we also design work to reduce the emotional tax on people. So remote work by design is a great environment for that because you default to asynchronous work. You're not all the time, always on in meetings. You're not you're not forced to respond to Slack at 2 AM in the morning on a Saturday, right? Uh, we have we have Focus Friday. It's a day on Friday where we don't have internal meetings, so we end up catching up on everything we need to catch up on during the week. So we can go in the weekend and don't answer any email, don't open any Slack message. So I can continue, but the, the essentially, is is really it's the behavior of the leadership combined with the infrastructure and the tools that provide that emotional safety, and uh, and that lead. You know, we're not doing it because. it's cool we're doing it because actually it's great for business. Uh, Our engagement levels are off chart. I mean, we did two layoffs last year and our engagement level went up in January. How can you explain that? We got voted last year as a top 25 companies to work for by Glassdoor and Battery Ventures. So this this amazing culture we're creating is, is an asset for the business that. Uh, in traditional financial world, we cannot value it, right? There's no... You cannot assign a value to a culture. But I can tell you, it is the most valuable asset we have today.
0: And humans and companies too often forget the things that are hard to measure. So that's same reason some people just like go after more cash and like ruin their health, ruin their relationships. I would love to switch gears a bit and talk about like you as the CEO and co-founder here. What is a typical day of a CEO of a billion-dollar company look like?
1: So it starts with uh, was really, I wake up in the morning and I don't work until 2 p.m. Sometimes I work because I work at 12, but that's exceptional, but I don't work for 2 p.m. So And I work till late. I work till 10, 11 p.m. And, uh, and in the morning, it's dedicated for me, right? It's really about... Uh, spending time with my children or doing my hobbies this morning i had a friend coming from london went to do some We did. we played golf this morning um and uh, uh and during the day when when i'm in, in meetings i'm usually very busy on zoom calls so actually tuesday wednesday and thursday are pretty much back to back with some uh, frequent uh, uh poses in between where in that time, I maybe I go for a short walk or I play a bit of music to 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 relax and and actually release whatever negative energy has been stored in me during that day. Uh, and uh, Monday and Friday, as I said, uh, they are usually low in calls, so I don't have any internal meetings. So they are mostly internal inter- meetings. But it's also opportunities to get ready. So Monday is about getting ready for uh, for the week. Uh, and uh And Friday is getting ready for the weekend
0: and getting ready for the week meaning rethinking strategy, rethinking a ton of tactical decisions you have to make with your leadership team, or what does getting ready mean for you there?
1: Yeah, so getting ready means uh, uh focusing on long form thinking you know building strat writing strategy document, okay, or developing a pitch deck or um, solving a complicated problem, uh, or actually catching up on a lot of asynchronous videos because we use a lot of videos in this company. Where we instead of, instead of meeting, we default to recorded videos. So if I have meetings I've in, I didn't, I missed, or if actually I have meetings I need to prepare for during the week, so I'll have my videos ready for me uh, to consume. And uh, uh, and then when it's ready, uh, the, the rest of the week, three days in the week, it's really back-to-back, mostly uh, Zoom calls with frequent uh, breaks in between.
0: That's super interesting. First of all, what's super interesting is that I don't know a lot of people who use video for async communication. I think that's super intriguing. And secondly, you just mentioned that long-form thinking in in written form, and then async is usually text-heavy. And also in a different podcast, you mentioned that you basically raised your seed round based on an investment memo. So I would love to dig in the communication aspect, both how you use writing and now, as you just mentioned, async video to manage a 500-person team and to manage yourself as the the head of that org. Yes, great question. So
1: first on, on, on creation, like I love to create things. I'm a very creative person. Actually, I... I, I I improve my energy level by by creating things and, and words is what I do as a CEO right it's mostly about word I have to say I have to say uh, with AI I'm more creative than ever which is amazing amazing tool uh, and uh, and how do we how do we how do we manage oyster with asynchronous work is essentially we have to be very clear about what are we measuring so we spend a lot of time defining our objective and key results. On a personal level on a team level on a company level and we have a process to define that and each of these goals are stored in a project management tool we use asana here Um, and uh, each goals are updated on a a, a regular basis Um, and every every tuesday we receive what we call async updates so every team will have to create a video with a notion page about the last week what happened that, that week and um, and then we have our we have two exec meetings during the week one exec meeting and one c suite meeting again for this meeting there's you have to consume some content in advance uh, there's an agenda planned um, and at the same time we have specific time for creativity and brainstorming that is more free flow uh, so we use tools such as Miro where we have dashboards and we come together on a specific Topic and we brainstorm and we create ideas. So you have to combine both, right? So the downside of remote work is that you don't have these water cooler conversations anymore, right? So how do you recreate this effect of spontaneous uh, idea sharing and and building on other people's idea in a remote work? Is you have you have to be intentional about it. And actually, if you're intentional and scientific about it, it is so much more powerful than a, a random water cooler conversation.
0: I love that because what I what I noticed from a lot of people running remote companies is you are forced to be intentional, but then that intentionality really becomes an asset that you maybe wouldn't have had if you would be in the regular office.
1: Exactly, you can get away in regular office by not being intentional. Right? So and so here you are, you have a forcing function to be intentional, HXC, and actually improves your results. It makes you a better company. Because if you're a company and you're clear about how you measure results, you're clear about how you build trust, and you're clear about how you work together, well, you're going to become a better company. That's why distributed companies are the best companies of today and tomorrow because they're going to attract the best talent. The best talent knows that they can get that freedom and flexibility. They want to live where they want to live. They want to have the life they want to have. Yet, they want to be super successful. And these modern companies are... Can give them both freedom, flexibility, and the success they deserve. There's no need for compromise anymore.
0: I think those are the perfect last words for our conversation today. Tony, thanks a ton for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Niklas. If you like this episode, then you'll love The SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node, with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.